I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. And this is our 100th episode. 100. 100 hours, let's say. That's 100 hours of talking about films. I'm David Reed. This is Merrick Larwood. Hello, listeners. And happy birthday to us. Is it a birthday? Not really. Here's my fact. When you're making um, films and on TV, you can't sing happy birthday because... Uh, the costs, the bloke's copyright, the cost of it, and it costs loads to license it. So when you're watching television, people sing, or films, a lot of the time people th- sing, he's a jolly good fellow. Is it not public domain? No. How is it not that old? They then? charge for it. They, they, whoever owns the rights to Happy Birthday makes loads, and they charge loads for it. So but as soon it's as you Paul start, McCartney, isn't it? Someone like that. <laughs> Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson. One of those. Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, or Donald Trump. Is he own a lot of songs? Imagine that if Happy he owns Birthday all the was hymns. Yeah, Happy Birthday was a reason that Donald Trump became powerful. Bloody hell! So this is a hundred episodes. I probably episodes. Yeah. You've done the whole hundred, haven't you? Pretty I have much. done. Yeah, yeah. Buddy's done most of them, I think. Yeah, I always feel with these sort of celebrations, people will listen to this podcast <laughs> as a barometer for that's Buddy sneezing, Buddy the dog. For those of you who don't know, um, who's in the background always in the show. People listen to this podcast as a barometer for what the show's like, but I always find that 100 episodes are like a disappointment. Like New Year's Eve or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. It's all been building building up to this, but it's actually not a climax of any particular meaning. Yeah, it's, it's a massive anticlimax, yeah. In fact, we, you know, we should probably have done something on the 52nd episode, that being a year's worth, mm-hmm. and then the next one's 104. So, really, prepare yourselves for that one. It is going to blow your minds. This is going to be a celebration of the anticlimax. <laughs> That's what life's about. Just when, you know, you've got to... Most of it's normality and the mundane. So our 100th podcast is going to be distinctly average. <laughs> it's going, it is going to resemble life in all of its forms, by the way. It just sort of rolls on. Yeah. It just keeps going. If you've come here hoping for some sort of... Uh... <laughs> Enlightenment, that is not going to happen. It's going to be a normal podcast talking about films. But that said, we have chosen a slightly uh, specialist theme for this week's podcast in celebration of our 100 episodes. What is the theme? The theme we have chosen is uh, our favourite films from our childhoods growing up. I thought it was our favourite film of all time. Oh, is it? All right, yeah, sure. That's probably the same for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mine's probably the same as well. 
Here's my theory on picking um, favourite films of all times. Of all time, even. Yeah. Of all times. I said all times because I... <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm immortal and I travel through dimensions and different Of course, life. yes. Like, not Doctor, like Doctor Who, but not a smug, and I don't try and save the world, I just do things for my own benefit. And when you die, you come back with the same face. The same face, and I just maybe change outfit, rather than all with jazzy clothes. As you get older, here's my bones with Doctor Who, you start wearing comfortable clothes. You know, you see old people, and they just wear walking shoes, yeah. and they wear sort of uh, waterproofs and clothes that are comfortable. That's what, I've, maybe. Yeah, that's what I've started doing, that's what happens. You become less vain and you get more comfortable. So Doctor Who should be dressed in some sort of waterproof tracksuit. <laughs> if he's he accurate. Should. If he's like 600 years old, he just wants to be comfortable now. He might have an orthopaedic shoe. And he wouldn't be scared anymore because you say the world so many times, it's a diminishing returns. You stop being scared. It's become meaningless. Yeah. Every week it happens. Well, that would be more joyful for kids if Doctor Who was just like, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so we picked it. So my, what I was going to say was, yes. When judging films, I think you you can tell you can give a film up to a mark out of eight out of ten mm. on the films uh, on how good a film is. And the last two are just sentimental reasons or just personal. It just happens subjective to, happens to resonate with you for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about your selection selection first, please? Sure. Yes. Well, I picked um, it. It probably was. I mean, it's very, very hard to pick a favourite film and it's almost a meaningless thing as well, mm. isn't it? I mean, but this would have to be in contention for my favourite film when I was growing up and still to this day, probably. But is the Terry Gilliam movie Time Bandits, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is um, a film about a young boy who's obsessed with history but lives in... Uh, a very suburban household and his parents don't really get him. But it's uh, set in the future, but isn't it? No, isn't it's it? the present. It's the present day. Oh. Until um, one day he is visited in his bedroom by time-travelling dwarves who have stolen the Supreme Being's map of all of the holes in time and space that it is supposed to be part of uh, the Supreme Being's job to fix these holes. And they're using these holes to travel through time as thieves. To go around as time bandits, if you will, stealing great treasures through, through time. And Kevin, the boy, goes on an adventure with them. Kevin. Kevin. You don't get many stars called Kevin these days, do Kevin you? Kevin Bacon. Oh, actual, actual main stars of things. Buddy the Dog's playing up today. So what? Um, why did you like this film so much? I think it's just because it's got that... Um, it's the heyday Gilliam thing of just being so imaginative and different. Like, it is so different. Um, I mean, it's it, it it's almost sketch-showy. It's got that um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail feel to it, really. It's an odyssey, which he likes to do, but very few people do an odyssey well, where you go from one island to another island and each one has a different sort of yeah. thing. It's almost Gulliver's Travelsy, you know. But, you know, so he goes... Uh, uh, Kevin meets Agamemnon, who in this version in, is the slayer of the Minotaur, played by Sean Connery. And he meets Robin Hood, who is uh, fantastically played by John Cleese, but is just this smarmy sort of almost uh, British royal. Mm. Um, and uh, and then they they want they want to try and find uh, the the fortress of ultimate darkness, which is uh, beyond the time of legends and. Evil himself is played brilliantly by David Warner, uh, which actually I thought 
Gilliam perhaps had seen uh, your choice of film for uh, evoking something in the villain. In oh, this really? Case Maybe. Well. Yeah. I think it came up, Time Out came up before, but I think. Oh, did it? What yeah, year yeah. was yours is Flight of Dragons? I think it's um, 82, I think. Time Out is 81. And I think Flight of Dragons is 82. Or maybe they were both evoking something else we're unaware of in the the uh, the big red cloaked man. Um, was this a book before the? Um, I don't believe so. No. Because I'm sure there's a book. What put, I only saw this film um, to put well, after you recommend you picked it out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes, Flight of Dragons was 1982. Um, because I always put off it by someone had a book at school, and it's always. Sometimes there are really odd reasons why you don't like films and don't like books. Yeah. That can't be explained. The reason I never liked Time Bandits was because as a kid at school, I won't name names because he might be listening, who, when I was about seven or eight, had the book of Time Bandits. I don't know if it was a spin-off from it. Right. And he was really snotting. He was all covered in <laughs> snot. And I had it for ages. And now to borrow books from school, I had to wait for him to finish it to watch it. Right. And when I... Um, to read it, rather... When I got finally got the book after this snotty kid had finished it, it was all disgusting. And it was all oh. bits of, you know, sometimes you get from the library if you ever got books, not someone put a bit of snot on a book. Yeah, page. yeah. It was like that disgusting. Oh. So it made me think. I only read that first chapter and it put me off the whole book, and I really hated it. And whenever I saw the film before, I just see loads of midgets jumping around. And I thought oh, I don't know what should I do. Well, the, there's actually, the top but it's rare because because there are far fewer mid- um, smaller people around. Um, they can often be... Can you not say midgets anymore? I don't... Well, it depends if they're midgets or dwarves, dwarves you see. Yeah. It's a different thing, and I'm, I'm too ignorant to know which is which. Um, but uh, Midgets glow in the dark. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, often often they can be uh, sort of the weak link acting-wise, and, you, you know, because they've been hired because of their stature rather than their acting ability. But I think in this film, they're all brilliant, and they're hysterically funny. I mean, it's got Kenny Baker in it, who plays Fidget, but you'll know him better as R2-D2 and all mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, it doesn't have Warwick Davis in it, which is bizarre for one of well, these he was, films. he's too young, um, isn't he? Probably, because he was 19 when he made Willow. Mm. So he would have been quite young. But it's got David Rappaport as the lead, uh, playing Randall, who I think is absolutely brilliant. And he's uh, he's he uh, tragically uh, took his own life, I believe. Uh, he died quite young. Yeah, when he's 30, um, 39. Yeah, but he, he was... Um, he was one of the demons in Young Ones as well, you might have seen him. But he used to do a comedy act with Sylvester McCoy. But what was interesting about him, this Dave Rappaport character, he didn't... All the other midget dwarf character people, apologies for offending anyone, um, played it quite annoyingly, I thought, like panto He plays it quite straight. He plays it like a normal... I thought he was excellent. He's he held, brilliant. And he held his own against... Um, you might argue that he stole the show. Yeah. Him and also Kevin, who is a brilliant child actor. Brilliant child actor. Like, you, you believe in the innocence of the child, but he's not overplaying it. He's just being... Um, um, he's quite Alice in Wonderland, I think, Kevin, where he's a slightly precocious child, but not in an annoying way. He's just... He, he doesn't put up with any rubbish. He's just like, why does it have to be that way? Which is exactly what Alice in Wonderland is in Alice is in the book. He didn't annoy me at all. No. For someone like Hayley Osment, I want to sort of punch well, because, him. Well, Hayley Joel Osment and Dakota Fanning are of that school of basically acting like adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's weird. Uh, but no, I, I absolutely love this film. And I think it's hysterically funny and it's got brilliant turns from all the cameos. Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall going through <laughs> it all the way, uh, sort of as these lovers through time who are, who are the 
the uh, the time bandits keep uh, ruining their relationship. And um, Jim Broadbent as well as the uh, the host of You Bet Your Life. It's the odd game seeing show. him before he really got famous. Yeah, as yeah. Um, Gilliam remi- always used him though. He was the plastic surgeon in Brazil as oh, well. Okay. It reminded me a lot of it, sort of uh, Baron Munchausen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's that era, and I love Baron Munchausen as well. I think it's I absolutely love it. And as a kid, it was so I couldn't really believe what I was watching. It was all so magical. Mm. And I think also what struck me about Gilliam's stuff is that his things didn't end like all the other thing kids things I was supposed to watch. Like it it left you mystified, and that was sort of amazing. Isn't it got one of the weirdest endings ever? Yeah. Because it's... I mean, you could probably do spoilers for something that's 30 years old. Yeah, I mean, he... Basically, he comes back through uh, time having uh, defeated evil, um, uh, played by David Warner, who then gets turned into a sort of... St- a statue of himself made of smouldering sort of um, charcoal which then explodes and pieces go everywhere and then a brilliant cameo from Ralph Richardson as uh, the supreme being himself gets them all to uh, to tidy up all of the pieces of distilled pure evil but one of them uh, is l- missed and Kevin then wakes up in his bedroom where the whole adventure started and it's on uh, the house is on fire and the smoke from the evil is actually the smoke from a fire and he gets rescued by firemen and they find out the fire's been started by something being left in the oven and it's that exact piece of evil mm. and then his parents who have never listened to him he just says don't touch it it's evil and they don't listen to him and they touch it and they explode and he's left He's left in the remains of his smouldering house alone, but Sean Connery, who was Agamemnon, is also the fireman, just winks at him as if to say it's all going to be all right as he drives away. It's not that convincing, because the final shot is him. It's like a, a crane shot looking down yeah. on the feet of his parents. <laughs> They've just blown but what up. I also love about that final shot is the crane shot is reversed. The smoke is going into the ground. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's it, but it's it's a little subtle thing, but it's weird, and ah, it's. Ah, I didn't notice that. I really like it. I really like it because uh, the last thing the supreme being says to him, or one of the last things, is you have to stay to carry on the fight. So he's been left there to carry on the fight against evil itself. Mm. Uh, you know, he's he's a kid and he's had that growing up adventure, where. As, we, as you were saying in your introduction to this episode, there are no neat answers. He's been left there to work it out for himself. Alcohol and drugs. <laughs> you think that's what happened, happened to Kevin? I did not enjoy this film that much. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, the first 20 minutes, I hated it. I just thought, oh, it's like a sort of... Uh, all the small people I found annoying. Uh, I liked Kevin, but it was just like a bit of a romp, and it felt like it was just... Felt like quite uh, reminiscent of a lot of other Gilliam films before, quite loose, and I didn't really find it particularly funny. But it grew on me as it as it went on. But I thought it was interesting to watch in uh, as an example of Terry Gilliam's oeuvre mm. and how things are that you can see echoes of this film in all in Twelve Monkeys and. Uh, in that one when he tried to make about Lost in the Mancha where he tries to do the giants and how yeah, he shoots yeah. them really low. Think, oh, yeah, you got that. Or you've got to... the stuff in the time of Legends with the giant itself yeah. and him having a ship for a hat. And yeah, all this stuff. so there's loads of... You can see how some of his ideas... I think he has some great ideas 
and it's and it's unique and it's different. I really admire that about it. I just did not like. It was all a bit too over the top and too. Did you like Monty Python though? Yes. Because it's it's very Python esque in its sort of over it's not the top. As funny as Monty Python. Well, no, but it's not a comedy out and out like that. Yeah. You know, it is an adventure. But then that's been an that's been a genre again and again that you haven't really liked. I, but I, then I, your choice of favourite film ever then is very interesting because uh, it's exactly of that genre. Yeah. But I mean, no, I just found this film so creative and fun and magical. Like I absolutely loved um, Ian Holm as Napoleon. His speech about short people through history, I okay. thought, was amazing. And the actually the bit in the cages towards the end, I found so scary as a kid. That's these really good. Visually. Cages suspended in nothing. Um, I I just yeah, I just lapped it up as a kid. I absolutely loved it. I think because I I hadn't uh, seen it as a kid, I was watching it now. I really admired the invention of it, and that's something Gilliam's really really great at. But I didn't think, oh, I really want to watch that. Maybe it'll grow on me as I get older or become senile and eventually start liking it. I still give it six marks. I think it's good. Uh, it's a ten from me because it's, uh, it's one of those things where as uh, growing up you kind of go, oh, I wish Sean Connery as Agamemnon was my dad. Can you, If you put it on, would you watch it? If it was on television yeah. and you turned it on, you can't watch it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't. Were you a big Gilliam fan, though? Not especially. Younger? I went to see Adventures of Bam Munchausen. It was my very first date. Really? Yes, it was quite stressful. It's an odd date. Yeah, well, I was just going to cinema and that was on. Yeah. And I didn't know whether or not to... Because uh, when you first go to cinema with a girl and you're 14, you think, am I supposed to um, snog this girl in the cinema? What's the protocol here? I yeah, don't yeah. know what... I was supposed to snogger immediately as soon as the um, film starts. Um, I was, and I think I was a lot more innocent at fourteen than a lot of these. Sh- judging by these kids today and some of the v- uh, uh, music videos they're watching, I was a hell of a lot more innocent. I know. I didn't know whether or maybe I was thirteen actually. That's why myself was a bit cooler. But I didn't know whether I was going to whether to try and try it on or not. So that ruined the experience for me because I did the whole you know that whole arm round thing. So the you? entire Gilliam aesthetic is now associated with. Uh, Sexual and social awkwardness with you. Yeah, nothing happened. It was. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Nothing happened. It's quite an uplifting film. That one. It bangs on a bit and it's messy. It what is. It was a huge flop. Box office flop wasn't it? the biggest ever, wasn't it? It was, but only because he spent so much money. But I, it's not. It's since recouped its cost. It's nowhere near the flop that it, it once was. I mean, things like um, I think uh, Waterworld beat it, and John Carter have beaten it as well. Yeah, it's a flop. But uh, no, I mean, I just, I, I love how much he puts on the screen. Just how, you know, they're like painting some of his sets. You know, I think they're beautiful. It's just that endless sort of invention. I, I'm not so keen on his more modern films. I, he may be one of the only directors that I've seen everything he's ever done. Okay. And uh, and I, I will continue to watch everything he's, he produces. Like Zero Theorem is coming out fairly soon. And that is Christoph Waltz in the lead, and that's a new sci-fi dystopia, sort of along the lines of Brazil, certain in its setup anyway. But that looks weird, really, really weird. Mm. I'm not sold on Gilliam. I like Twelve Monkeys. Well, but... Twelve Monkeys is his most successful sort of mainstream film. They were to write essays. I was at university and I did part of my degree in film studies. Which were essays on Twelve Monkeys. Really? Yeah. On Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, because it's about time travel and narrative and all that business. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a good film. I really like it. Yeah. Really, really good film. It sort of made Brad Pitt more than just a hunky man, didn't it, that film? There's a performance. I don't know, listeners might be able to help me with this. I saw Brad Pitt doing, uh, in 12 Monkeys, playing that sort of nutty bloke. Yeah. And I saw a film by accident about two weeks after watching it where there's a performance exactly the same right. as Brad Pitt's. The point where you think this is note for note the same character. And what is it? I can't remember what it is. And it's a different actor. Different actor doing a performance exactly like Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys. And it you can't help but think it's lifted. Well, all the tiny mannerisms are there. It was Michael Caine who said The, the, the said arms the... and things, everything is lifted. So if you can... Tell me, uh, that's I'll be interesting. Because I have a the weird sort of feeling of deja vu with you describing that that I have seen a performance that I went. That's exactly what Brad Pitt did in Twelve Monkeys. Okay. I have a feeling I've seen that film, but I can't recall what it is either. Maybe I've talked that's, about it before. No, no, no. I, I actually I remember thinking it watching a film. But um, it's as Michael Caine said: if you see an actor do something you like, nick it. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> only acting isn't it it's not like he's only gone and stolen the bloody character (laughs) well it's interesting Michael Caine thinks that because he's not exactly the most versatile performer anyway it's all just looking a bit tired isn't it you bloody believe every word he says though like I rewatched Dark Knight Rises which isn't a perfect film it's not even a good film probably but Michael Caine in it is brilliant like he gets about probably a total of two three minutes on screen and he he manages to make you feel stuff with every second that happens. Like he's just well, dirty rotten scoundrels. Oh, it's a brilliant film. One of my favourites. Yeah, I'd say, that I think one. that is that that shows Michael Caine doing something different. And um, have what, you seen um, what's his Sleuth? Oh uh, yeah, weird film where they try to pass him off as another actor. Yeah, and he just. Uh, and what's her name? But the Liverpudian woman with Julie. Um, uh, oh, educating Rita. Yeah, they're Brilliant my two. Film. They're my two favourite Michael Caine films. Michael Caine. Do 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 do. Uh, yes. Do you want to say anything? Well, I'm else sorry about you that? didn't like Time Bandits. I did like it. I just didn't really like it. I liked. Uh, I like Kevin. He's Kevin. good. I don't know what's happened to him actually. Nothing. Nothing. Apparently, I was reading. As usual, all my information comes from IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, he went when he went when Kevin um, went to audition for Time Bandits. Kevin plays the sort of uh, boy. Well, he is not a sort of boy. He's a boy. His name is Craig Warnock. He went with his brother. And his brother went to audition, and he ended up getting the part. Oh. One of those stories. Never go to audition with a family member. <laughs> oh. Um, so there we go. Back in 1981, that was made. Let's do some letters, shall we? Yeah, all right. I mean, there are literally thousands of people writing in, asking about, um, with um, wishing us congratulations on our um, 100th episode. Well, that's nice. By thousands, yeah. I mean one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. And guess who it is? Is it Chris Webb? Chris Webb. <laughs> Chris Webb. Um, Bye, Chris Webb. Again. Um, we should point out here that... Um, this is an independent podcast. Yes. Uh, and we, uh, and if you really enjoy listening to this, it would really help us if you could donate on, where is it? Simply go to filmfandango.co.uk and uh, you can donate using PayPal or whatever. Um, Visa or MasterCard um, to our running costs, which are uh, not 
insignificant. But uh, to all those who have donated already, thank you very much. It is deeply, deeply appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch like the people Marek's about to read out have, then you can email us, dearfilmfandango at gmail.com, or you can go on our Facebook uh, wall, which is facebook.com forward slash filmfandango, or simply tweet us at filmfandango. Here's someone who's always writing in. It's Chris Webb. I mean, you read it. (laughs) Oh, Marek, you two have fallen out. Um, He's Welsh, isn't he? We always do him Welsh. No, we don't. Don't we? No. I thought... Just do him. No, just give him no accent. No accent at all. <laughs> Robot Web. This is from Chris Robot Web. Dear David, Marrick, and Princess Buddy, it wouldn't be a hundred. Princess Buddy, he's a boy. It wouldn't be a hundredth episode without a hundredth mail from me, Chris Web. So here goes. I think the best twisty movie of all time would have to be Psycho. Everyone of our generation knows the twists without having even seen the film, but imagine what it would have been like to have seen it the first time round when nobody knew what was going to happen. Keep your dead people, women with a ta- tadger. Don't know that word, I know it is tadger. Keep your dead people, women with a tadger, and Kevin Spacey's gammy leg. The double whammy of Psycho's shower scene and the Norman Bates reveal at the end must have been unbelievable. Lots of love, Chris. P.S. as a special centenary gift, here's a YouTube link to the 1988 UK horror movie Paper House, which is well worth a look. Uh, thank you, Chris Webb. Uh, we will pass that on to our Facebook page. Women with the Tudger, is that the crying game, is it? <laughs> oh, spoiler city. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Great film. Have you seen it? Um, yes, I have. It's a good film. It's got Stephen Rear and uh, Forrest Whitaker in it. I always like, I wish Forrest was... Whitaker plays a, a dead cricket pet. Dead cricket fan who comes to uh, Stephen Rear in a dream. Um, and there's another email as well. This one's from Dave Christensen. Hello, hello. Wow, he's not like he's a character. Twice, yeah. I'm going to do him as a seedy pervert. Okay. Purely because he's written. Sorry, I haven't emailed for a while. Oh, that's a seedy. Hello, hello. Sorry, I haven't emailed for a while. I think I'm one of five or six people who ever seem to send you anything. Just joking. I just got around to watching Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. Wow, that's a mental film. I'm not even sure how you'd score a film like that. I don't even know how to think about it and compare it with anything else. Everything's so weird. That scene where he takes a kid and starts off as one of the silliest things and becomes one of the sinister thing, most sinister things I've ever seen. I laughed all the way through. But I'm not sure that it's a film I'd be prepared to sit through again. Also, I saw a, nu- a good film on a flight back from a holiday recently. A Canadian Indian Canadian indie film called Picture Day. It's a nice high school indie, sort of mumble score. Coming from an age age type film. Oh, sort of, sort of mumble m- mumble core, sorry. Coming of age type film. <laughs> And it's pretty sweet. If you can get hold of it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I also got to finally got to see 21 Jump Street on the plane, which was really good. And Stoker, which was pretty dull and forgettable. I forget whether you guys re- reviewed that. Dave Southampton. Wow. We did review Stoker. We did. I I thought it was all right. I was unimpressed. Mm. 
It uh, Wentworth Miller wrote it. Ah, uh, yes, from Prison Break. Yes. Thank you, Dave Christensen and Chris Webb, for writing in. Thank you for your emails. Um, yeah, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. It, it is really funny, but as we said at the time, it is not for everyone. Yeah, a bit like, um, what's that stuff called? Uh, heroin. Yes. We should also probably mention that Film Fandango Live is happening for the second time ever. It's going to be on the 29th of October in Camden, London. So uh, it's also going to be a quiz and Halloween themed. So many things. So uh, grab your teams and come on down. Uh, more information will be available from our Facebook page. So... Guess what? What? Should we talk about my favourite film? Yeah, go on. This film is the best film of all time. Mm-hmm. It was made in 1982, and it's an animation aimed at kids. When you look it up on IMDb, here's... I can't understand why this film is not more popular. I watched it. It was an Easter holidays. Picture the scene. The Easter holidays around the Larwood family household. Three young boys mucking about not in a sexual way, but bored and sort of what, trying to find out something to do on the Isle of Wight, a small island off the coast of the mainland of the, of England. Yeah. There's not much to do once you get into the second week of Easter holidays, so they just turn on the television. They were pretty bored. Then a film comes on about dragons. It looks quite interesting. They gave it a go. Little did they know they stumbled across the best film of all time that was ever made. Exactamond. What is it called? It's called The Flight of Dragons. All I was going to say is I cannot understand why this film is not more popular. Before you started banging on about it about four months ago or however long it was, I had never heard of this film. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. And having watched it now, I am inclined to agree with you. I do not know why it isn't better known. Like, it is... It's entirely of the genre of, you know, fantasy uh, sort of epic, sort of Tolkien-esque stuff. But it goes further than those films do. I think it should be up there with these Adventures in a Magical World films from that era, because it's 82, isn't it? Yeah. The the year I was born. Um and you know of of the your likes of Labyrinth and Princess Bride and um, and all of these like it's it's, it's beautifully wonderful. written the script brilliant. is brilliant. Well, it's from the book, isn't it? Which is fascinating. It's Peter Dickinson, yeah. Who um, it's about, and he's the, the main character is an author called Peter Dickinson who's writing a book called Flight of Dragons. So it's got that sort of never-ending story uh, vibe of of. The, the modern world connected with the fantasy world. I had the book of The Flight of the Dragons that right. was written by Peter Dickinson, which is actually about The Flight of Dragons. Right. But one of the reasons is, I mean, you're going you're to look up yourself on IMDb and you're going to see the uh, the cover of... The cover is terrible. I, I cannot understand this. They have taken... Um, the animations are and the drawings are brilliant. Yeah. For some reason... They've got like a two-year-old to draw the most annoying versions of the characters. I wouldn't watch it from the cover. The well, cover is a completely com- different drawing well, style. But one, the, the one, dragon is—they've uh, Disneyfied the whole features. But, but that—that that, I promise you—is Ducky from uh, Land Before Time. That is not the dragon that's in. Why have they taken not taken uh, all the millions of beautiful? <laughs> Frames in the in the actual film. Yeah, they've done a terrible drawing. And if I I look up now, I'm looking at it. I think that looks absolutely awful from that drawing. Yeah, it is a drawing. <laughs> they're not even like that. It's, no, that's one of the reasons. It's why. from that slightly 
um, creepy's not quite the right word, but it, it's it's there's a there's a real sort of menace to the animation style of that period. Yeah. Of it, it's have you seen the Lord of the Rings animation? Yes, that's great, time? brilliant, brilliant, and it, that's a similar feel to it. I yeah. Think. It's not as good as this at all. Yeah. But there are whole sequences that uh, Peter Jackson lifted wholesale from that animation. I prefer, shot for shot in his movies. I prefer Lord, the Lord of the Rings the animation. I think yeah. some of the bits are brilliant when they they merged filming because they ran out of money. And they had to cut costs, and it just had to end, did it? And Aragorn just looks like some bloke in a t-shirt with a belt around it, oh, like he's got great. tiny. Hot pads. <laughs> oh no, but James Hurt does his voice, and that's the Lord of the Rings animation, which yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah. highly recommend. It's as from well. a similar time, but this. Um, what's the story? Tell us the story of it. So what happens is there is a uh, set in about well nineteen eight, uh, uh, early eighties. There's a writer who goes into a pawn shop who's trying to um, get money to he can. Uh, so he can fund his Flight of Dragons game which is this fantasy game about with his beautiful princess and these wizards little does he know his idea of the game is actually a parallel universe where there's four wizards um, uh, Carolinus and a blue wizard and a yellow wizard um, the wizards of water and air and other things and then there's a red one Omadon the evil wizard What's happening is this magical realm is getting smaller and smaller. Why? Because humans are just obsessed with science. And when you do that, magic dies. So they try and create their own world. But Lomadon's not having any of it. He's going to take over and destroy the, the, the realm of um, the human beings. And so he becomes more powerful. And well, his plan is to inspire um, e- greed e- and uh, and violence in humanity, so they end up destroying themselves, exactly. so he can then take over again. Yes, like sort of like um, basically Hitler's muse. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just, or maybe uh, I don't know, maybe capitalism's muse. Hmm, that's for you to decide. Um, so what happens is they decide to have uh, Omidon goes on his evil quest, and the other three decide. They have to mount a quest to um, overcome Overdon. And they consult the Tree of Antiquity, who tells them that the third person their quest, apart from the dragons, comes from the future. Yes. But things go wrong, and they have to, and something happens. And it's just a story of a quest with lots of brilliant characters. The music's done by Don McLean. Which is drawing. sort of amazing. I, I didn't realise that. and I, But the music I'd noticed was particularly good. Like, yeah. it, it does stick with you. It's quite catchy. And then one of the first credits at the end is music by Don McLean. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all... Uh, the voice of Omidon is James Earl Jones. Perfect. Best baddie voice ever. But the, the writing's really po- poetic and really, really spot on. I think there's a sort of philosophical message to it as well. I love this. I love this film. Well, it starts your... off... I was worried at the beginning. I thought it was going to be a bit Fern Gully with its yes. whole um, science is evil, magic is great. Yeah, yeah. But then it doesn't go down that route at all. Yeah. It, it starts there and goes somewhere else. And um, because it's an 80s movie, so it's got a message to it because it's for kids. You yeah. Know, like all that stuff. But great villain great villain like he's properly I, I can imagine if you saw this as a kid he would haunt you a bit but all the dra- all the all the um wizards and all the uh, are beautifully drawn all the characters are great like the blue wizard's got his 
certain types of dragon that's, yeah, yeah. and the oriental yellow wizard's got the Chinese dragons yeah, and the yeah. way they move and the uh, it's sort of a bit like manga-ish sort of animation and they, they go on an odyssey as well actually in the yes. same way as uh, Time Bandits or many other things where on their quest they pick up uh, new allies along the way until you, you and as a kid I love nothing more than putting the team together yeah. and just have, having the different people and what they they each bring to the table so they've got a sort of um, a wolf that can talk at one point and then they get a, a female archer and they, the awesome knight as well. Yeah, he's, he's uh, great. He is brilliant. He's a weird character because normally... He's quite camp and he's quite old, yeah. Yeah, but that character would normally be played for laughs. But he is sort of camp and old, but isn't. He's still a good leader. He's not incompetent, you know? Yeah. Um, they've all got their own stories as well. And they've got, so, so Oren Neville Smythe is... That's uh, it, yeah, yeah. And they're quite, it's quite comic as well in places. Oh, yeah, yeah. My brothers, me and my brothers, still say lines from the film. What's your favourite? I was near Podball to a fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> That's Joel's of the Wood Elves. Yeah. And we always say, Briag, I say. <laughs> and, um, I, I think Giles of the Wood Elves would be uh, picked last on my team if it was football. <laughs> okay. He's still quite good, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, the other line I say is from the, the, yellow, the yellow Wizard. I can't remember his, his name. Uh, who says... It was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> it's got great quotes. I, it's, I think it's quite a nostalgic thing for me as well. But. It's got an edge to it, though, that I liked uh, for this genre. That Actually, the 80s was interesting for this uh, time. Because they seem to, nearly always, or a hell of a lot of them, had a link to modernity in the modern day. And, you know, what kids... Uh, life is like now so you know um princess bride is told from the point of view of kid a kid in the present with yeah. colombo his granddad telling him to, telling it to him never ending story is the kid finds the book in modern day new york and starts reading it and that creates this link to the past and and this has the same it, it's it's interesting that we the fantasy genre shed that going into the 90s and noughties yeah i think there's lots um, of it's up there if you like labyrinth which I'm a big fan of. Uh, Never Ending Story, not so much a fan of. It's humourless, is my problem with Never Ending Story. Yeah. I, again, I loved it as a kid because of the, the invention and just the, the puppets and the world they created was wonderful. And then I watched it again, and as an adult, it's got less to offer because it is sort of slow and and very Germanic. You can tell it's a German source material because it's like, it's uh, of that time, it's just not very funny. Like, yeah. Um, when the other other people producing this stuff is you know things like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal where you've got the Henson com, uh, coming from that sort of whole Muppets back catalogue of they could make things funny at yeah. the same time is incredible. Um, no, go this go is and check this well out. Good. I mean, I don't even I don't think it's even on um, Love Film. You have to go and buy it. If you, I just think it's really worth. It should be up there with the great films, and it is my favourite film. So one thing, if I do one thing in my life. It'll be that's of, of some worth. It's introducing people to this film, and it is probably more of a male thing. It's a kids' film as well. It is. Yeah. We should stress that. But I older kids. I don't, yeah. I don't think. Even, I don't think it's for like six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds. I think it's well, maybe nine, ten-year-olds. If you like the fantasy genre, genre, you should probably have seen this. Is what I'd say. It's. Um, it was very reminiscent, and I don't know which came first, of the old Dungeons & Dragons cartoon series. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Which was probably a similar time, but I imagine that came a bit later. Um, but uh, it had that feel to it, didn't it? Of uh, you know, the, Yeah. Um, sort of, yeah. Fantasy heyday. 
interestingly enough, not very many good films uh, that revolve around dragons. No. It was sort of a maligned genre, um, like Pirates, until recently. Well, zombie films are normally good. Dragon films are generally bad. Generally terrible. There are... This one, I'd say, uh, you know, is brilliant. How to Train a Dragon. And How to Train Your Dragon is fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And between those two, I'd be hard-pressed to pick any really good dragon films. Like, I enjoyed Dragonheart, but I know it's rubbish. If you... Class Glenn Close as a dragon yeah. in Sleeping with was it Sleeping with the Enemy. <laughs> that might be the third one. You're using dragon as a metaphor. Yes, um, yes, sometimes I yeah, mean, yeah, you yeah. do that. Um, Pete's Dragon, I've not seen. But, uh, oh, that was an odd one. Pete's Dragon is a half film, half animation. Yeah, yeah. I never saw it because it was on my dentist's... There was a poster of it on my dentist's wall. As a child, I had extensive dental work because my teeth were really... Uh, messed up so whilst Pete's so dragon I, stared I, at you yes I saw the child in Pete's dragon while I was having drills your childhood associations really affect your uh, choice of movie watching. at least I'm open about it a lot yeah, of people yeah. won't make it they I, won't admit they had dental work yes I have got <laughs> odd prejudices which I still hold to this day born from my childhood of which and, dragons are alright by you and which yeah, aren't and people need to for us to succeed as human beings we need to start admitting that these key turning points in our lives are still uh, a massive influence over our modern day behaviour wow. and that's my um, uh, psychological point for this this week's podcast do you think you've embraced the magic I would in quite, your life I would quite happily exchange where I am now from the, from the realm of magic Really? Oh, I mean, look at the countryside in it. It's very nice. Although there's lots of horrible monsters and things, aren't no, there? No, but Everywhere all, you go. Not, they just, they're all at peace with each other. I think um, I wanted more than anything as a kid a talking dog. Okay. And We've I've got, got a dog. All you need to do is just put, um, what you can do is just stitch some microphones into his um, neck and I can do the voice of Buddy. That'd be quite fun. Hello, David. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't yeah. be fun. The monsters in this film are great. They are properly sort of scary as well. Mm. No, it's 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 a yeah. I I almost feel uh, it's a shame that I didn't see this when I was younger because I would have loved it. Yeah, I'm, I know it's a lot easier to be critical of films uh, than it is to be gush with praise. You run out of things to say. Yeah, yeah. But I I do. I, I want you all to this to watch it. Oh yeah. <laughs> well. Well, there you go. Two of our childhood films. Marit poo-pooed mine and I had the good grace to like this. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week for our 101st episode. Uh, but until then, keep, keep watching, watching the films. films. Bye. Is it keep watching the films? Or the keep films. Watching... It's the films. I think it's keep watching films. That's, but that's not got a rhythm to it. Keep watching the films. Yeah. Keep watching films. No. All right, Bye. Bye. Imagine that if happy he owns birthday all the was, hymns. Yeah. Happy birthday was a reason that Donald Trump became powerful. Bloody hell. So this is a hundred episodes. I've probably episodes, yeah. You've done the whole hundred, haven't you? Pretty I have much. done, yeah, yeah. Buddy's done most of them, I think. Yeah. I always feel with these sort of celebrations, people will listen to this podcast <laughs> as a barometer of uh, that's Buddy Sneezing, Buddy the Dog, for those of you who don't know, um, who's in the background always in the show. 
people listening to this podcast is a barometer for what the show's like, but I always find that hundreds of episodes are like a disappointment. Like New Year's Eve or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. It's all been building, building up to this, but it's actually not a climax of any particular meaning. Yeah, it's, it's a mathematical climax, yeah. In fact, we you know we should probably have done something on the 52nd episode, that being a year's worth, mm-hmm. and then the next one's 104. So, really, prepare yourselves for that one. It is going to blow your minds. This is going to be a celebration of the anticlimax. <laughs> That's what life's about. Just when, you know, you've got to... Most of it's normality and the mundane... So our hundredth podcast is going to be distinctly average. <laughs> it's going, it is going to resemble life in all of its forms. By the way, it just sort of rolls on. Yeah, it just keeps going. If you've come here hoping for some sort of uh, <laughs> enlightenment, that is not going to happen. It's going to be a normal podcast talking about films. But that said, we have chosen a slightly uh, specialist theme for this week's podcast in celebration of our 100 episodes. What is the theme? We're, the theme we have chosen is uh, our favourite films from our childhoods growing up. We've, I thought it was our favourite film of all time. Oh, is it? All right, yeah, sure. That's probably the same for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mine's probably the same as well. Here's my theory on picking um, favourite films of all times. Of all time, even. Yeah. Of all times. I said all times because I... <laughs> I am immortal and I travel through dimensions and different Of course, lives. yes. Like, not Doctor, like Doctor Who, but not a smug. And I don't try and save the world. I just do things for my own benefit. And when you die, you come back with the same face. The same face. And I just maybe change outfit. Rather than all with jazzy clothes. As you get older, here's my bones with Doctor Who. You start wearing comfortable clothes. You know, you see old people and they just wear walking shoes. Yeah. And they wear sort of uh, waterproofs and clothes that are comfortable. That's what, fleece, maybe. Yeah, that's what I've started doing. That's what happens. You become less vain and you get more comfortable. So Doctor Who should be dressed in some sort of waterproof tracksuit. <laughs> if he's he accurate. Should. If he's like 600 years old, he just wants to be comfortable now. He might have an orthopaedic shoe. And he wouldn't be scared anymore because you save the world so many times, it's a diminishing returns. You stop being scared. It's become meaningless. Yeah. Every week it happens. Well, that would be more joyful for kids if Doctor Who was just like, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so we picked it. So my, what I was going to say was... Yes. When judging films, I think you you can tell you can give a film up to a mark out of 8 out of 10 mm. on the films uh, and how good a film is. And the last two are just sentimental reasons or just personal. It just happens subjective. to... Happens to resonate with you for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about your selection selection first, please? Sure, yes. Well, I picked... Um, it It probably was... I mean, it's very, very hard to pick a favourite film and it's almost a meaningless thing as mm-hmm. well, isn't it? I mean, but this would have to be in contention for my favourite film when I was growing up and still to this day, probably. But is the Terry Gilliam movie Time Bandits, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is um, a film about a young boy who's obsessed with history but lives in uh, a very suburban household and his parents don't really get him. But it's uh, set in the future, but isn't it? No, isn't it's it? the present. It's the present day. Oh. Until um, one day he is visited in his bedroom by time-travelling dwarves who have stolen the Supreme Being's map of all of the holes in time and space that it is supposed to be part of uh, the Supreme Being's job to fix these holes. And they're using these holes to travel through time as thieves 
to go around as time bandits, if you will, stealing great treasures through, through time. And Kevin, the boy, goes on an adventure with them. Kevin. Kevin. You don't get many stars called Kevin these days, do you? Kevin Bacon. Our actual, actual main stars of things. Buddy the Dog's playing up today. So what, um, why did you like this film so much? I think it's just because it's got that... Um, it's the heyday Gilliam thing of just being so imaginative and different. Like, it's so different. Um, I mean, it's it, it it's almost sketch-showy. It's got that um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail feel to it, really. It's an odyssey, which he likes to do, but very few people do an odyssey well, where you go from one island to another island and each one has a different sort of yeah. thing. It's almost Gulliver's Travelsy, you know. But, you know, so he goes... Uh, uh, Kevin meets Agamemnon, who in this version in, is the slayer of the Minotaur, played by Sean Connery. And he meets Robin Hood, who is uh, fantastically played by John Cleese, but is just this smarmy sort of almost uh, British royal. Mm. Um, and uh, and then they they want they want to try and find uh, the the fortress of ultimate darkness, which is uh, beyond the time of legends and. Evil himself is played brilliantly by David Warner, uh, which actually I thought Gilliam perhaps had seen uh, your choice of film for uh, evoking something in the villain. In oh, this really? Case. Maybe. Well, yeah. I think it came up. Time Out came up before, but I think. Oh, did it? What yeah, year yeah. was yours? Is Fight of Dragons? I think it's um, eighty-two. I think Time Out is eighty-one, and I think Fight of Dragons is eighty-two. Or maybe they were both evoking something else we're unaware of in the the uh, the big red cloaked man. Um, was this a book before the? Um, I don't believe so. No. So I'm sure there was a book. But what put, I only saw this film um, to put well, after you recommend you picked it out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes, Flight of Dragons was 1982. Um, because I always put off it by someone had a book at school, and it's always. Sometimes there are really odd reasons why you don't like films and don't like books. Yeah. That can't be explained. The reason I never liked Time Bandits was because as a kid at school, I won't name names because he might be listening, who, when I was about seven or eight, had the book of Time Bandits. I don't know if it was a spin-off from it. Right. And he was really snotting. It was all covered in <laughs> snot. And I had it for ages and now to borrow books from school, I had to wait for him to finish it to watch it. Right. And when I, um, to read it rather... When I got finally got the book after this snotty kid had finished it, it was all disgusting. And all oh. bits of, you know, sometimes you get from the library, if you ever got books, not someone put a bit of snot on a book. Yeah, page. yeah. It was like that, disgusting. Oh. So it made me think, I only read that first chapter and it put me off the whole book and I really hated it. And whenever I saw the film before, I just see loads of midgets jumping around and I thought, oh, I don't know what should I do. Well, the, midgets actually, doing over the top actually. But it's rare because, because there are far fewer mid- um, smaller people around. Um, they can often be... Can you not say midgets anymore? I don't... Well, it depends if they're midgets or dwarves, they dwarves you see. Yeah. It's a different thing, and I'm, I'm too ignorant to know which is which. Um, but uh, Midgets glow in the dark. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, often often they can be uh, sort of the weak link acting-wise, and, you, you know, because they've been hired because of their stature rather than their acting ability. But I think in this film, they're all brilliant, and they're hysterically funny. I mean, it's got Kenny Baker in it, who plays Fidget, but you'll know him better as R2-D2 and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Um, it doesn't have Warwick Davis in it, which is bizarre for one of well, these he was, films. he's too young, um, isn't he? Probably, because he was 19 when he made Willow. Mm. So he would have been quite young. But it's got David Rappaport as the lead, uh, playing Randall, who I think is absolutely brilliant. And he's uh, he's he 
uh, tragically uh, took his own life, I believe. Uh, he died quite young. Yeah, when he's 30, um, 39. Yeah, but he, he was... Um, he was one of the demons in Young Ones as well, you might have seen him. But he used to do a comedy act with Sylvester McCoy. But what was interesting about him, this Dave Rappaport character, he didn't... All the other midget dwarf character people, apologies for offending anyone, um, played it quite annoyingly, I thought, like panto He plays it quite straight. He plays it like a normal... I thought he was excellent. He's he held, brilliant. And he held his own against... Um, you might argue that he stole the show. Yeah. Him and also Kevin, who is a brilliant child actor. Brilliant child actor. Like, you, you believe in the innocence of the child, but he's not overplaying it. He's just being... Um, um, he's quite Alice in Wonderland, I think, Kevin, where he's a slightly precocious child, but not in an annoying way. He's just... He, he doesn't put up with any rubbish. He's just like, why does it have to be that way? Which is exactly what Alice in Wonderland is in Alice is in the book. He didn't annoy me at all. Whereas no. for someone like Hayley Joe I want to sort of punch well, him. Well, Hayley Joel Osmond and Dakota Fanning are of that school of basically acting like adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's weird. Uh, but no, I, I absolutely love this film. And I think it's hysterically funny and it's got brilliant turns from all the cameos. Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall going through it all the way, uh, sort of as these lovers through time who are, who are the, the, uh, the time bandits keep uh, ruining their relationship. And um, Jim Broadbent as well as the, uh, the host of You Bet Your Life. It's the odd game seeing show. him before he really got famous. Yeah, I yeah. Um, Gilliam mo- always used him though. He was the plastic surgeon in Brazil as oh, well. okay. It reminded me a lot of it, sort of uh, Baron Munchausen. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's that era, and I love Baron Munchausen as well. I think it's, I absolutely love it. And as a kid, it was so I couldn't really believe what I was watching. It was all so magical. Mm. And I think also what struck me about Gilliam's stuff is that his things didn't end like all the other thing kids things I was supposed to watch. Like it, it left you mystified, and that was sort of amazing. Isn't it got one of the weirdest endings ever? Yeah. Because it's... I mean, you could probably do spoilers for something that's 30 years old. Yeah, I mean, he... Basically, he comes back through uh, time having uh, defeated evil, um, uh, played by David Warner, who then gets turned into a sort of... St- a statue of himself made of smouldering sort of um, charcoal which then explodes and pieces go everywhere and then a brilliant cameo from Ralph Richardson as uh, the supreme being himself gets them all to uh, to tidy up all of the pieces of distilled pure evil but one of them uh, is l- missed and Kevin then wakes up in his bedroom where the whole adventure started and it's on uh, the house is on fire and the smoke from the evil is actually the smoke from a fire and he gets rescued by firemen and they find out the fire's been started by something being left in the oven and it's that exact piece of evil mm. and then his parents who have never listened to him he just says don't touch it it's evil and they don't listen to him and they touch it and they explode and he's left He's left in the remains of his smouldering house alone, but Sean Connery, who was Agamemnon, is also the fireman, just winks at him as if to say it's all going to be all right as he drives away. It's not that convincing, because the final shot is him. It's like a, a crane shot looking down yeah. on the feet of his parents. <laughs> They've just blown but what up. I also love about that final shot is the crane shot is reversed. The smoke is going into the ground. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's it, but it's it's a little subtle thing, but it's weird, and ah, it's. Ah, I didn't notice that. I really like it. I really like it because uh, the last thing the supreme being says to him, or one of the last things, is you have to stay to carry on the fight. 
So he's been left there to carry on the fight against evil itself. Mm. Uh, you know, he's he's a kid and he's had that growing up adventure where, as we as you were saying in your introduction to this episode, there are no neat answers. He's been mm. left there to work it out for himself. Alcohol and drugs. <laughs> you think that's what happened, happened to Kevin? I did not enjoy this film that much. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, the first 20 minutes, I hated it. I just thought, oh, it's like a sort of... Um, all the small people I found annoying. Uh, I liked Kevin, but it was just like a bit of a romp, and it felt like it was just... felt like quite uh, reminiscent of a lot of other Gilliam films before, quite loose, and I didn't really find it particularly funny. But it grew on me as it as it went on. But I thought it was interesting to watch in uh, as an example of Terry Gilliam's oeuvre mm. and how things... Uh, that you can see echoes of this film in all in Twelve Monkeys and uh, in that one when he tried to make about Lost in the Mancha where he tries to do the giants and how yeah, he shoots yeah. them really low. Think, oh, he actually got that. Or you've got the stuff in the Time of Legends with the giant itself yeah. and him having a ship for a hat. And yeah, all this stuff. so there's loads of you can see how some of his ideas. I think he has some great ideas, and it's and it's unique and it's different. I really admire that about it. I just did not like. I thought it was all a bit too over the top and too... Did you like Monty Python, though? Yes. Because it's, it's very Python-esque in its sort of over-the-top. It's not the as top funny as Monty Python. Well, no, but it, it's not a comedy out and out like that. Yeah. You know, it is an adventure. But then that's been, an, that's been a genre again and again that you haven't really liked. I, but I, then I, your choice of favourite film ever, then, is very interesting. Because <laughs> uh, it's exactly of that genre. Yeah. But, I mean, no, I just found this film so creative and fun and magical. Like, I absolutely loved um, Ian Holm as Napoleon. His speech about short people through history, I okay. thought, was amazing. And the actually the bit in the cages towards the end, I found so scary as a kid. That's just these really good. Visually. Cages suspended in nothing. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just lapped it up as a kid. I absolutely loved it. I think because I, I hadn't uh, seen it as a kid, I was watching it now. I really admired the invention of it, and that's something Gilliam's really, really great at. But I didn't think, oh, I really want to watch that. Maybe it'll grow on me as I get older or become senile and eventually start liking it. I still give it six marks. I think it's good. Uh, it's a ten from me because it's, uh, it's one of those things where as uh, growing up you kind of go, oh, I wish Sean Connery as Agamemnon was my dad. Can you, If you put it on, would you watch it? If it was on television yeah. and you turned it on, you'd carry on watching it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't. Were you a big Gilliam fan, though? Not especially. Younger? I went to see Adventures of Bam Munchausen. It was my very first date. Really? Yes, it was quite stressful. It's an odd date. Yeah, well, I was just going to cinema and that was on. Yeah. And I didn't know whether or not to... Because uh, when you first go to cinema with a girl and you're 14, you think, am I supposed to um, snog this girl in the cinema? What's the protocol here? I yeah, don't yeah. know what... I was supposed to doing. snog her immediately as soon as uh, the film um, starts. Um, I was, and I think I was a lot more innocent at fourteen than a lot of these. Sh- <laughs> judging by these kids today and some of the v- uh, uh, music videos they're watching, I was a hell of a lot more innocent. I know. I didn't know whether or maybe I was thirteen actually. That's when myself was a bit cooler, but I didn't know whether I was going to whether to try and try it on or not. So that ruined the experience for me because I did the whole you know that whole arm round thing. So the you? entire Gilliam aesthetic is now associated with. Uh, Sexual and social awkwardness with you. Yeah, nothing happened. It was. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. 
Nothing happens. It's quite an uplifting film, that one. It bangs on a bit and it's messy. It what is messy. It was a huge flop. Box of a flop wasn't it? one of the biggest ever, wasn't it? It was, but only because he spent so much money. But I, it's not. It's since recouped its cost. It's nowhere near the flop that it, it once was. I mean, things like... Um, I think uh, Waterworld beat it and John Carter have beaten it as well. Yeah. It's a flop. But uh, no, I mean, I just... I, I love how much he puts on the screen. Just how, you know, they're like painting some of his sets. You know, I think they're beautiful. Just, just that endless sort of invention. I, I'm not so keen on his more modern films. I, he may be one of the only directors that I've seen everything he's ever done. Okay. And uh, and I, I will continue to watch everything he's, he produces. Like Zero Theorem is coming out fairly soon. And that is Christoph Waltz in the lead. And that's a new sci-fi dystopia sort of along the lines of Brazil certain in its setup anyway but that looks weird really really weird mm. I'm not sold on Gilliam I like 12 Monkeys well but... 12 Monkeys is his most successful sort of mainstream film they were to write essays I was at university and I did part of my degree of film studies which were essays on 12 Monkeys really yeah on 12 Monkeys yeah because it's about time travel and narrative and all that business yeah yeah it's a good film. I really like it. Yeah. Really, really good film. It sort of made Brad Pitt more than just a hunky man, didn't it, that film? There's a performance. I don't know. Listeners might be able to help me with this. I saw Brad Pitt doing uh, in 12 Monkeys playing that sort of nutty bloke. Yeah. And I saw a film by accident about two weeks after watching it where there's a performance exactly the same right. as Brad Pitt's. The point where you think this is note for note the same character. And what is it? I can't remember what it is. And it's a different actor. Different actor doing a performance exactly like Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys. And it you can't help but think it's lifted. Well, all the tiny mannerisms are there. It was Michael Caine who said The, the, the said, arms uh, and things, everything is lifted. So if you can tell me... Uh, that's I'll be interesting. Because I have a, the weird sort of feeling of deja vu with you describing that, that I have seen a performance that I went... That's exactly what Brad Pitt did in 12 Monkeys. Okay. I have a feeling I've seen that film, but I can't recall what it is either. Maybe I've talked That's, about it before. No, no, no. I, I actually, I remember thinking it watching a film. But um, it's as Michael Caine said, if you see an actor do something you like, nick it. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. It's only acting, isn't it? It's not like... He's it. only gone and stolen the bloody character. <laughs> well, it's interesting Michael Caine thinks that, because he's not exactly... The most versatile performer anyway. It's all just looking a bit tired, isn't it? You bloody believe every word he says, though. Like, yeah. I rewatched uh, Dark, um, Dark Knight Rises, which isn't a perfect film. It's not even a good film, probably. But Michael Caine in it is brilliant. Like, he gets about probably a total of two, three minutes on screen, and he, he manages to make you feel stuff with every second that happens. Like, he's just... Well, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, it's a brilliant film. One of my favourites, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I think one. that is that, that shows Michael Caine doing something different. And um, Have you seen um, what's his Sleuth? Oh, uh, yeah. Weird film where they try to pass him off as another actor. Yeah. And he just... Uh, and what's her name about the Liverpudian woman with Julie... Um, uh, oh, Educating Rita. Yeah, they're, my two, they're my two favourite Michael Caine films. Michael Caine! do, 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 do. Uh, yes. Do you want to say anything? Well, I'm sorry you didn't like Time Bandits. I did like it. I just didn't really like it. I liked, uh, I like Kevin. He's good. I don't know what's happened to him, actually. Nothing. Nothing. Apparently, I was reading, as usual, all my information 
comes from IMDb. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he went when he went when Kevin um, went to audition for Time Bandits. Kevin plays the sort of uh, boy. Well, he is not a sort of boy. He's a boy. His name is Craig Warnock. He went with his brother. And his brother went to audition, and he ended up getting the part. Oh. One of those stories. Never go to audition with a family member. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so there we go. Back in 1981, that was made. Let's do some letters, shall we? Yeah, all right. I mean, there are literally thousands of people writing in, asking about, um, with um, wishing us congratulations on our um, 100th episode. Well, that's nice. By thousands, yeah. I mean one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. And guess who it is? Is it Chris Webb? Chris Webb. <laughs> Chris Webb. Um, Bye, Chris Webb. Again. Um we should point out here that um, this is an independent podcast. Yes. Uh, and we, uh, and if you really enjoy listening to this, it would really help us if you could donate on, where is it? Simply go to filmfandango.co.uk and uh, you can donate using PayPal or whatever. Um, Visa or MasterCard um, to our running costs, which are uh, not insignificant but uh, to all those who have donated already thank you very much it is deeply deeply appreciated if you'd like to get in touch like the people Marek's about to read out have then you can email us dearfilmfandango at gmail.com or you can go on our Facebook uh, wall which is facebook.com forward slash filmfandango or simply tweet us at filmfandango here's someone who's always writing it's Chris Webb I mean you read it (laughs) oh Marek you two have fallen out. Um, he's Welsh, isn't he? We always do him Welsh. No, we don't. Don't we? No. I thought... Just do him. No, just give him no accent. No accent at all. <laughs> Robot Web. This is from Chris Robot Web. Dear David, Marrick, and Princess Buddy, it wouldn't be a hundred. Princess Buddy, he's a boy. It wouldn't be a hundredth episode without a hundredth mail from me, Chris Web. So here goes. I think the best twisty movie of all time would have to be Psycho. Everyone of our generation knows the twists without having even seen the film. But imagine what it would have been like to have seen it the first time round when nobody knew what was going to happen. Keep your dead people, women with a ta- tadger. Don't know that word. I know it is tadger. Keep your dead people, women with a tadger and Kevin Spacey's gammy leg. The double whammy of Psycho's shower scene and the Norman Bates reveal at the end must have been unbelievable. Lots of love, Chris. P.S. as a special centenary gift, here's a YouTube link to the 1988 UK horror movie Paper House, which is well worth a look. Uh, thank you, Chris Webb. Uh, we will pass that on to our Facebook page. Women with the Tudger, is that the crying game, is it? <laughs> oh, spoiler city. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Great film. Have you seen it? Um, yes, I have. It's a good film. It's got Stephen Rear and uh, Forrest Whitaker in it. I always like. I wish Forrest was... Whitaker plays a, a dead cricket dead cricket fan who comes to uh, Stephen Rear in a dream. Oh, and there's another email as well. This one's from Dave Christensen. Hello, hello. <laughs> wow, he's not like he's a character. Twice, yeah. I'm going to do him as a seedy pervert. Okay. Purely because he's written. Sorry, I haven't emailed for a while. Oh, that's a seedy. Hello, hello. Sorry, I haven't emailed for a while. I think I'm one of five or six people who ever seem to send you anything. Just joking. 
I just got around to watching Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. Wow, that's a mental film. I'm not even sure how you'd score a film like that. I don't even know how to think about it and compare it with anything else. Everything's so weird. That scene where he takes the kid and starts off as one of the silliest things and becomes one of the sinister thing, most sinister things I've ever seen. I laughed all the way through. But I'm not sure that it's a film I'd be prepared to sit through again. Also, I saw a, nut, a good film on a flight back from a holiday recently. A Canadian Indian Canadian indie film called Picture Day. It's a nice high school indie, sort of mumble score. Coming from an age age type film. Oh, sort of, sort of mumble mumble core, sorry. Coming of age type film. And it's pretty sweet. If you can get hold of it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I also got to finally got to see 21 Jump Street on the plane, which was really good. And Stoker, which was pretty dull and forgettable. I forget whether you guys re- reviewed that. Dave Southampton. Wow. We did review Stoker. We did. I, I thought it was all right. I was unimpressed. Mm. It's uh, Wentworth Miller wrote it. Ah, uh, yes, from Prison Break. Yes. Thank you, Dave Christensen and Chris Webb, for writing in. Thank you for your emails. Um, yeah, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. It, it is really funny, but as we said at the time, it is not for everyone. <laughs> yeah, a bit like, um, what's that stuff called? Uh, heroin. Yes. <laughs> we should also probably mention that Film Fandango Live is happening for the second time ever. It's going to be on the 29th of October in Camden, London. So uh, it's also going to be a quiz and Halloween themed. So many things. So uh, grab your teams and come on down. Uh, more information will be available from our Facebook page. So... Guess what? What? Should we talk about my favourite film? Yeah, go on. This film is the best film of all time. Mm-hmm. It was made in 1982, and it's an animation aimed at kids. When you look it up on IMDb, here's... I can't understand why this film is not more popular. I watched it. It was an Easter holiday. Picture the scene. The Easter holidays around the Larwood family household. Three young boys mucking about not in a sexual way, but bored and sort of what, trying to find out something to do on the Isle of Wight, a small island off the coast of the mainland of the, of England. Yeah. There's not much to do once you get into the second week of Easter holidays, so they just turn on the television. They were pretty bored. Then a film comes on about dragons. It looks quite interesting. They gave it a go. Little did they know they stumbled across the best film of all time that was ever made. Exactamont. What is it called? It's called The Flight of Dragons. All I'm going to say is I cannot understand why this film is not more popular. Before you started banging on about it about four months ago or however long it was, I had never heard of this film. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. And having watched it now, I am inclined to agree with you. I do not know why it isn't better known. Like, it is... It's entirely of the genre of, you know, fantasy uh, sort of epic, sort of Tolkien-esque stuff. But it goes further than those films do. I think it should be up there with these Adventures in a Magical World films from that era, because it's 82, isn't it? Yeah. The the year I was born. Um, 
and you know of of the your likes of Labyrinth and Princess Bride and um, and all of these. Like it's it's, it's beautifully wonderful. written. The script brilliant. is brilliant. Well, it's from the book, isn't it? Which is fascinating. It's Peter Dickinson. Yeah. Who, um, it's about, and he's the the main character is an author called Peter Dickinson who's writing a book called Flight of Dragons. So it's got that sort of never ending story uh, vibe of of. The, the modern world connected with the fantasy world. I had the book of the Flight of the Dragons that right. was written by Peter Dickinson, which is actually about the Flight of Dragons. Right. But one of the reasons is, I mean, you're going you're gonna to look up this up on IMDb and you're going to see the uh, the cover of... The cover is terrible. I, I cannot understand this. They have taken... Um, the animations are and the drawings are brilliant. Yeah. For some reason... They've got like a two-year-old to draw the most annoying versions of the characters. I wouldn't watch it from the cover. The well, cover is a completely com- different drawing well, style. But one, the, the one, dragon is—they've uh, Disneyfied the whole features. But, but that—that that, I promise you—is Ducky from uh, Land Before Time. That is not the dragon that's in. Why have they taken not taken uh, all the millions of beautiful? <laughs> Frames in the in the actual film. Yeah, they've done a terrible drawing, and if I I look up now, I'm looking at it. I think that looks absolutely awful from that drawing. Yeah, it is a drawing. The isn't it? They're not even like that. It's, no, that's one of the reasons. It's why. from that slightly um, creepy. Is not quite the right word, but it's 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 there's a. There's a real sort of menace to the animation style of that period. Yeah. Of it, it's. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings animation? Yes, that's great. Time? Brilliant. Brilliant. And it, that's a similar feel to it. I yeah. Think. It's not as good as this at all. Yeah. But there are whole sequences that uh, Peter Jackson lifted wholesale from that animation. I prefer, shot for shot in his movies. I prefer Lord, the Lord of the Rings the animation. I think yeah. some of the bits are brilliant when they they've merged filming because they ran out of money. They had to cut costs. And it just had to end, did it? And Aragorn just looks like some bloke in a t-shirt with a belt around it. Oh, like, he's got great. tiny hot pads. <laughs> oh, no, but James Hurt does his voice. And that's the Lord of the Rings animation, which yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. would highly recommend It's from well. a similar time. But this, um, what's the story? Tell us the story of it. So what happens is, there is a, uh, set in about, well, 19, uh, uh, early 80s, there's a writer who goes into a porn shop who's trying to... Um, Get money to he can uh, might so he can fund his flight of dragons game, which is this fantasy game about the, with his beautiful princess and these wizards. Little does he know, his idea of the game is actually a parallel universe where there's four wizards: um, uh, Carolinus and a blue wizard and a yellow wizard. Um, the wizards of water and air and yes. other things, and then there's a red one. Omadon, the evil wizard. What's happening is this magical realm is getting smaller and smaller. Why? Because humans are just obsessed with science. And when you do that, magic dies. So they try and create their own world, but Omadon's not having any of it. He's going to take over and destroy the, the, the realm of um, the human beings, and so he becomes more powerful. And well, his plan is to inspire um, e- greed e- and uh, and violence in humanity, so they end up destroying themselves, exactly. so he can then take over again. Yes, like sort of like um, basically Hitler's muse. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just, or maybe uh, I don't know, maybe capitalism's muse. Hmm, that's for you to decide. Um, 
so what happens is they decide to have uh, Omidon goes on his evil quest and the other three decide they have to mount a quest to um, overcome Omidon and they consult the tree of antiquity who tells them that the third person their quest apart from the dragons comes from the future but things go wrong and they have to and something happens and it's just a story of a quest with lots of brilliant characters the music's done by Don McLean. Which is drawing. sort of amazing. I, I didn't realise that. and I, But the music I'd noticed was particularly good. Like, yeah. it, it does stick with you. It's quite catchy. And then one of the first credits at the end is music by Don McLean. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all... Uh, the voice of Omidon is James Earl Jones. Perfect. Best baddie voice ever. But the, the writing's really po- poetic and really, really spot on. I think there's a sort of philosophical message to it as well. I love this. I love this film. Well, it starts it. off... I was worried at the beginning. I thought it was going to be a bit Fern Gully with its yes. whole um, science is evil, magic is great. Yeah, yeah. But then it doesn't go down that route at all. Yeah. It, it starts there and goes somewhere else. And... Um, because it's an 80s movie, so it's got a message to it because it's for kids, you yeah. know, like all that stuff. But great villain. Great villain. Like, he's properly... I, I can imagine if you saw this as a kid, he would haunt you a bit. All the dra- all the, all the um, wizards and all the uh, are beautifully drawn. All the characters are great. Like, the blue wizard's got his... Tip, certain types of dragon that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the oriental yellow wizard's got the Chinese dragons yeah, and the yeah. way they move and the uh, sort of a bit like manga-ish sort of animation and then they go on an odyssey as well actually in the yes. same way as uh, Time Bandits or many other things where on their quest they pick up uh, new allies along the way until you, you and as a kid I love nothing more than putting the team together yeah. and just have, having the different people and what they they each bring to the table so they've got a sort of um, a wolf that can talk at one point, and then they get a, a female archer, and there's the awesome knight as well. Yeah, he's, he's uh, great. He is brilliant. He's a weird character because normally he's quite camp and he's quite old. Yeah, yeah. But that character would normally be played for laughs, but he is sort of camp and old, but isn't. He's still a good leader. He's not incompetent. You know. Yeah. Um, they've all got their own stories as well, and they've got so, so Orin Neville Smythe is. That's uh, it. Yeah, yeah. They're quite. It's quite comic as well in places. Oh yeah, yeah. My brothers, me and my brothers still say lines from the film. What's your favourite? I was near Podball to a fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> That's Joel's of the Wood Elves. Yeah. And we always say Briag, I say. <laughs> and, um, I, I think Giles of the Wood Elves would be uh, picked last on my team if it was football. <laughs> okay. He's still quite good, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, the other line I say is from the, the, yellow, the yellow Wizard. I can't remember his, his name. Uh, who says... It was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> it's got great quotes. I, it's, I think it's quite a nostalgic thing for me as well. But. It's got an edge to it, though, that I liked uh, for this genre. That Actually, the 80s was interesting for this uh, time. Because they seem to, nearly always, or a hell of a lot of them, had a link to modernity in the modern day. And, you know, what kids... Uh, life is like now so you know um princess bride is told from the point of view of kid a kid in the present with colombo his granddad telling him telling it to him never-ending story is the kid finds the book in modern day new york and starts reading it and that creates this link to the past and and this has the same it's it's interesting that we the fantasy genre shed that going into the 90s and noughties yeah i think there's lots Um, of it's up there if you like labyrinth 
which I'm a big fan of. Uh, Never Ending Story, not so much of a fan of. It's humourless, is my problem with Never Ending Story. Yeah. I, again, I loved it as a kid because of the, the invention and just the, the puppets and the world they created was wonderful. And then I watched it again, and as an adult, it's got less to offer because it is sort of slow and and very Germanic. You can tell it's a German source material because it's like, it's uh, of that time, it's just not very funny. Like, yeah. Um, when the other other people producing this stuff is you know things like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal where you've got the Henson com, uh, coming from that sort of whole Muppets back catalogue of they could make things funny at yeah. the same time is incredible. Um, no, go this go is and check this well out. Good. I mean, I don't even I don't think it's even on um, Love Film. Right? You have to go and buy it. If you, I just think it's really worth. It should be up there with the great films, and it is my favourite film. So one thing, if I do one thing in my life. It'll be that's of, of some worth. It's introducing people to this film, and it is probably more of a male thing. It's a kids' film as well. It is. Yeah. We should stress that. But I older kids. I don't, yeah. I don't think. Even, I don't think it's for like six, seven, eight, nine year olds. I think it's well, maybe nine, ten year olds. If you like the fantasy genre, genre, you should probably have seen this. Is what I'd say. It's. Um, it was very reminiscent, and I don't know which came first, of the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Which was probably a similar time, but I imagine that came a bit later. Um, but uh, it had that feel to it, didn't it? Of uh, you know the yeah, um, sort of yeah, fantasy heyday. Interestingly enough, not very many good films uh, that revolve around dragons. No. It was sort of a maligned genre, um, like Pirates, until recently. Well, zombie films are normally good. Dragon films are generally bad. Generally terrible. There are... This one, I'd say, uh, you know, is brilliant. How to Train a Dragon. And How to Train Your Dragon is fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And between those two, I'd be hard-pressed to pick any really good dragon films. Like, I enjoyed Dragonheart, but I know it's rubbish. If you... Class Glenn Close as a dragon yeah. in Sleeping with was it Sleeping with the Enemy. <laughs> that might be the third one. You're using dragon as a metaphor. Yes, um, yes, sometimes I yeah, mean, yeah, you yeah. do that. Um, Pete's Dragon, I've not seen. But, uh, oh, that was an odd one. Pete's Dragon is a half film, half animation. Yeah, yeah. I never saw it because it was on my dentist's... There was a poster of it on my dentist's wall. As a child, I had extensive dental work because my teeth were really... Uh, messed up so whilst Pete's so dragon I, stared I, at you yes I saw the child and Pete's dragon while I was having drills your childhood associations really affect your uh, choice of movie watching. at least I'm open about it a lot yeah, of people yeah. won't make it they I, won't admit they had dental work yes I have got <laughs> odd prejudices which I still hold to this day born from my childhood of which and, dragons are alright by you and which yeah, aren't and people need to for us to succeed as human beings we need to start admitting that these key turning points in our lives are still uh, a massive influence over our modern day behaviour wow. and that's my um, uh, psychological point for this this week's podcast do you think you've embraced the magic I would in quite, your life I would quite happily exchange where I am now from the, from the realm of magic Really? Oh, I mean, look at the countryside in it. It's very nice. Although there's lots of horrible monsters and things, aren't no, there? No, but Everywhere all, you go. Not, they just, they're all at peace with each other. I think um, I wanted more than anything as a kid a talking dog. Okay. And We've I've got, got a dog. All you need to do is just put, um, what you can do is just stitch some microphones into his um, neck and I can do the voice of Buddy. 
That'd be quite fun. Hello, David. <laughs> oh, that would yeah. be fun. The monsters in this film are great. They are properly sort of scary as well. Mm. No, it's 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 a uh, yeah. I I almost feel uh, it's a shame that I didn't see this when I was younger because I would have loved it. Yeah, I'm, I know it's a lot easier to be critical of films uh, than it is to be gush with praise. You run out of things to say. Yeah, yeah. But I I do. I, I want you all to this to watch it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. Well, there you go. Two of our childhood films. Marit poo pooed mine and I had the good grace to like this. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week for our 101st episode. Uh, but until then, keep, keep watching, watching the films. films. Bye. Is it keep watching the films? Or the keep films. Watching... It's the films. I think it's keep watching films. That's, but that's not got a rhythm to it. Keep watching the films. Yeah. Keep watching films. No. All right, Bye. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.